What's up guys, welcome back to On About Bar Podcast, this is Christopher Menning, your host, and today's episode is episode 33. Today's guest is Taylor Foxman, a communication guru who's been in the industry with some of the big giants such as Perna Ricard, helping them deliver their messages. Now, she has her own company, The Industry Collective, which has helped connect brands with thought leaders with a group of plus 40 experts in the drinks industry, some that have actually been on this show. Now, Taylor talks to us today about her active role in the industry and how she helps communicate uh, across the board, how she helps connect with different industry professionals and help share their message, and a lot of other stuff, including medical marijuana. I know, strange topic. Taylor was a lot of fun, and it was really great to speak to her and hear her story, so I hope you enjoy this one too. Uh, as always, in the show notes, you can find more information about her and also about me. So one of the things I'd like to point out is that last episode, I said I'll be releasing a book very soon, which is still the case. And not only will you have Taylor's message inside uh, with different uh, experiences that she can give, but also all my previous guests too. And I'm hoping to have about 50 of the episodes in the book. Now, as you know, this show and this new project relies heavily on my audience uh, support. So if you can, guys, have a look in the show notes, follow the links that I've had there. There's a link to the Gastronomer Lifestyle website, which is where most of my content is, and also a link to Patreon, where you can join a community and have a monthly donation to help support this podcast grow. Um, Other than that, guys, please enjoy the show. Please also subscribe, like, share, and uh, follow my social channels. You can find me on Instagram, on the Bat Bar Podcast, uh, Facebook as well, the same name. And yes, that's pretty much it. So once again, guys, stay safe, enjoy Taylor Foxman, and talk to you all soon. Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the Back Bar. This is Christopher Menning. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much again for joining on the Bat Bar podcast. And today we have Taylor Foxman in the house. How are you doing, Taylor? I'm doing very well. How about you? Thanks so much for having me on. No worries. No worries. It's quite strange because we're calling from literally the other side of the world and it's 8 a.m. <laughs> for you and 8 p.m. for me, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I was just saying that I, I, I would, in full transparency, I woke up a few minutes ago. I did brush my teeth and have coffee, but um, I have not been up for hours, you know, meditating or doing yoga. But I wish, I wish I was. Well, that's coming after, right? After the show. <laughs> of course, right, we're right. On it's on the to do list. <laughs> Good. And um, just for the audience, like, where are you calling from? Where, where are you based? So I'm based in Manhattan. I've been 
living in New York for about 11 and a half years after following college. I was in Boston. Okay. And uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure me and as many of the audience will know that America's going through a, a very interesting time right now. How, how have you been? How have, are your family safe? Are they okay? Oh, thank you so much for asking. Yeah, my family's safe. We have family. Uh, so primarily my family's based in New Jersey and the Philadelphia region. Uh, my brother and his fiance actually um, run and own a series of food carts in Philadelphia. And then my father is still a practicing surgeon, actually, in New Jersey. So mm. it's been interesting because he, you know, for a lot of industries and a lot of people, obviously work has been you know all over the map in terms of what they've had to do when they've had to go in. And for him... He's been unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, busier than ever. Um, right. They've they decided um, he runs a retinal surgery surgery practice, and so they decided to um, reschedule indefinitely all of the patients that were not deemed as critical. And even with that, he still has to go in about four to five hours a day. So um, obviously, him and all the other essential workers, I, I just commend them for all that they've had to do for such a long amount of time at this point. So. Yeah, 100%. As do I, as do I. And uh, hopefully that, I mean, I heard there's a vaccine on the way and fingers crossed that um, we'll all be looking at brighter lights soon. But but Taylor, we're, we're here to talk about you. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy to have you here because I looked at your, your history and what you do now. And it's very exciting, I think. But um, I think a lot of the audience uh, will love to know uh, a little bit about how you started in the industry and, and a bit about your background, if you want to, if you want to delve into that. Absolutely. So the running joke that I always tell people is that I've been working specifically in spirits prior to having legally been able to consume it here in the U.S. So I, I started interning at a larger public relations communications agency in Boston. Actually, when I was in college, I went to Boston University. So I was in their school of communication. And one of the internships I did, I, you know, it was more of a lifestyle-based agency. And one of the projects that they... I don't know whether it be intentional or unintentional, um, but they put me on Svedka Vodka. So, you know, I, I really, really very much enjoyed that experience. And, you know, another joke being that I, I was paid in flavored liquor bottles during that time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, so I, I worked, um, I worked at uh, that agency through the duration of college, uh, got into the university of Southern California um, to attend the Annenberg School of Communications for my graduate degree following college. Um, but then right around the same time, got a call from an agency here in New York asking if I would help launch, virtually launch Jameson Black Barrel in 2010. And so um, I was given the opportunity at a very young age to run the media relations for the entire Brown Spirit portfolio for Perno Ricard from 21 to 25 um, alongside some other team members. And really from there, I felt like I had found what I had been looking for, which was an opportunity to continue working in communications uh, with a focus specifically on BevAlk. Mm. And um, yeah, and then following that, I mean, we can get into it more concretely, but have spent the last, as I said, about 11 years working for in and around 70 global wine, beer, spirit brands, um, you know, including the whole Grupo Campari portfolio, uh, the Edrington Americas line, so McAllen, Highland Park, um, worked on a bunch of change management, PR and communications for Boston Beer Company, Jägermeister Patron, uh, went back to Pernod Ricard as the head of communications um, 
few years back and then am now serving as also the vice president of communications and events for one of the larger privately owned cannabis companies, funny enough, um, <laughs> following a mentor of mine who worked at Patron, who actually took me, quote unquote, from like cannabis to cocktails or vice versa. So it's been an interesting ride to say the least. For sure. And obviously communications is your strong point. I'd love to go more into that. But um, yeah, this is something I didn't think I'd say before, but let's talk about cannabis. How did that, <laughs> how did that come around? <laughs> I, it was one of those opportunities. I, I, yeah, I hadn't really talked about cannabis too much prior either. Um, you know, in full transparency, I, I didn't really grow up being a cannabis smoker. Obviously, I didn't have a license. And so, um, but, you know, I knew of the culture and I thought it was very interesting. But I would say less on the recreational side of things and more so on the potential for what cannabis can do um, from a health perspective. And so, um, as I said, just in passing, I had been working at Pernod Ricard um, as my most recent role prior to my role at Parallel on the cannabis side and very much enjoyed it, had no intention of leaving. I still very much drink the Kool-Aid, have Jameson on my back bar, (laughs) quote unquote, my back (laughs) bar, I mean, my personal bar cart. Um, Yeah, so... At that time, this was about a year, year and a half ago, I've had a longstanding mentor who was the previous CMO of Patron. And he, you know, someone I just incredibly admire. And we've just been trying to figure out a way to work together. It's as simple as that. And I mm-hmm. felt very strongly that if, if someone that I admire, that's a mentor of mine, recommends a role or suggests a different path in my career, I should go with my gut and I should follow it. So that's what I did. So he ended up being an investor in the cannabis company that I currently serve as the president, vice president of communications for. And it's been a very interesting ride. I, I've really, I've really enjoyed it because I think it's such a nascent field and really working through from a regulatory perspective, just the, the kind of the ways of working in cannabis is, is, is unlike anything that I've ever done mm. on the marketing and communication side. So I've found it to be a really, really interesting new challenge for me. I like to go into industries and work with brands that have, you know, whether it be a stigma or there is some nascency to the business. So for me, going into cannabis as a communicator is as, you know, is as fun of a challenge as I think I could have asked for. So I feel very grateful for that. For sure, for sure. And I mean, forgive me if I'm wrong, but do you find a lot of your time in the communication role is to change perspectives of marijuana and cannabis? At this point, no. Um, I think that's a bit down the road. I think I won't go on a whole tirade, but I think that there are a few kind of key things in cannabis that – should slash need to happen um, over the next few years just to continue to, you know, to help it become a more of a mainstream business when it comes to reputation, right? Mm-hmm. So one in my mind would be more widespread education. And I'm, I'm talking just as a note, just specifically my thoughts around it here in the U.S. Um, so one would be education. I think there is a little bit, if not a lot of uncertainty from, you know, general consumers and patients as well who, you know, utilize the product as to 
how much to be smoking, what to be smoking, when to smoke it. So I think um, both, you know, it's not specific to my company. I think it's a more industry-wide concern is, is just the need for more mainstream education. Mm-hmm. And then the other facet of it being, it still has some of that kind of wild, wild west, you know, feel as overall here in the U.S. And I think that's also primarily just because it's not legal you know, across the country. So recently, a few more states have approved, you know, marijuana, which has really helped, you know, from um, the outlook, I would say, of, of what it can be and what it can do here in the U.S. So I, again, I feel, I feel confident, similar to the elections, <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. you know, there is a, yeah, that, that, the, that the industry will, you know, continue to become more mainstream. And from there, I think sky is the limit as to, you know, what cannabis can do here. Good. And we won't stay too much on, on cannabis, but I, I still find it very interesting because it's not something I've talked about before. But can you, can you um, explain the, the company you work for? What is the final product? I mean, what, how do people buy the cannabis and, and what's the general use for it normally? Sure. So you have to have in the states where um, they have medical dispensaries. So we have footprint in a few states um, across the country. We have footprint in Texas. Florida, Massachusetts, Nevada, um, and expanding as as we speak. So you really have to, you know, talk with your doctor, understand if you actually do in fact need a medical marijuana card, and um, yeah, work with your doctor to figure out what the need cases are for you in particular, and then they'll issue you a medical marijuana card, which I have here in the state of New York, for example, and then you go to a local dispensary. And they'll work, you'll, you'll have a guide is what we call them to help you navigate what products work best for you. And so mm-hmm. our company, the company I work for is called Parallel. And we were previously called Sutera Wellness. So we have, um, Sutera Wellness was our chain of dispensaries, uh, specifically in Florida. So Parallel is, the, you know, our company, but obviously there are other companies out there. It really depends. And so we are not obviously in every state. So, you know, depending on where you live, I would just, you know, look on the medical marijuana website, you know, for the states in which it's medical. Uh, recreational just means that you can go without having a medical cannabis card and purchase in certain states in the country. So that's not obviously widespread, but there are some states where you don't actually need to go um, get a medical cannabis card. You can just, you know, show proof of ID and then be able to purchase sight on scene. So it's mm-hmm. very interesting, very interesting space. It is. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, I mean, it seems like America's um, is really paving the way for that sort of industry. I mean, it's not really widespread across the world yet. So it'd be good to see what happens next, I think. But, um, I'll keep you posted. Please do, yeah. <laughs> but obviously, this is not your only role, and you sort of lead uh, a double life in a way, which is quite funny to say. But you're also quite big in the cocktail world, and uh, not only have you got a huge history in communications and spirits, but you've also got a really exciting project right now, uh, the Industry Collective. And I'd love for you to tell us more about that. I'd love to. So yeah, so I started the Industry Collective this past year. Um, I've been I think I've mentioned a little bit, but I've been on kind of all sides of the spirit industry. I I was in-house. So, you know, for people who may or may not know what that means, I worked within the company as opposed to an agency of record that works with the company. Um, And then I also worked as an agency of record. So I felt like I had been on kind of all sides of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And 
I felt there were just a few interesting voids that I thought I could potentially fill with this idea of the collective, which is now my company. The first primarily being having worked for, you know, small, mid and large size spirit, wine, beer and spirit brands, excuse me. I, I did feel that the way in which these brands worked with experts in the space felt a bit disjointed. And that's not to the fault of the brand or the expert, but from what I've seen and experienced, the way in which it at least works here is, you know, let's say you're working on a new project, you're creating a new rum. You know, you have someone, whether it be in your company or one of your agencies, try to find a rum expert or a writer who knows about rum, who can tell us what they think about, you know, what we should create around rum. Um, or if you are creating a whole new strategy around cocktail development, right? And you're like, I really want to create an interesting new sustainable cocktail portfolio of products or portfolio and, you know, have bartenders nationwide at various accounts create a sustainable cocktail menu. So how it has been working historically from what I've seen is that they would find someone online or they may be recommended to someone. And then it's kind of like a cold call pitch. You know, mm. they would email them or maybe direct message them on some social handle and perhaps they'd work on a project or two. And that seemed to really kind of be the, the existence of those relationships up until now. And I felt that if I could bring all of these various experts together, and I can get into what the, the wider idea of the collective is, but if I could bring experts together that are somewhat autonomous in spirit, meaning that you know they're not necessarily working for a larger conglomerate because that's a little bit harder, but if they're their own boss in some way, if I can bring these, pull these people together, bring them together, given my background, having worked with all these brands, I felt that I would be able to create a more collaborative, you know, systematic and strategic way in which experts in the wider BevAl hospitality sector, as well as these brands can work together moving forward. Um, I also, the other part of the idea was that you have all of these experts, which originally I was only thinking domestically here in the US, but I realized they are globally friends with one another. Um, but to find a forum for them to work together. I, I hadn't really seen a whole lot of examples of companies or organizations that truly facilitated, you know, cross collaboration, you know, with people that have various roles, various levels of expertise in different parts of the industry. And is there a way also for to, to help bring those people together, forget about even working with the brands, that's a different kind of part of the model, but just for them to liaise together, you know, ideate together and come up with interesting campaigns as these thought leaders. So the industry collective is, is a vehicle for, you know, for it's around 40 global experts across wine, beer and spirits, as well as low and no elk. Um, you know, to create, as I kind of said a little bit earlier, a more collaborative and inclusive industry together, whether it be, you know, the work that they do within the collective or work that we do with, you know, other quote unquote, like partners that we have in the industry, as well as more strategically working with brands. Fantastic. It's, um, no, it's absolutely amazing. Like, I can't wait to really delve into this. And, and you're right, there's um, some incredible people you've got behind you on this. Um, some of them have been on my show. Ivy Mix, right. for instance, from Le Leander. Right. We had, uh, who is it? I'm trying to look for the name. 
Camille Vidal, Camille that's well. it, yeah, from the yeah. Mason Wellness, and Tim Effrington Judge. All, all three of them are amazing I, people, and uh, I, I've had a look at the rest of the list. And uh, how did you how did you bring all these people together? How did you pitch the idea? Well, just as a reminder, I am a PR person by right. by nature, right? So <laughs> okay. it didn't it helped. Yeah, no, um, I'm I'm partially kidding. So I have I, you know, I've been very fortunate to make such incredibly rich relationships over the years. So the group, just to give a bit more context of kind of the diversity of the people in the group, and then I can go into how I finagled, if I know it's a finagle is like a finagle. Finagle means steal it, steal away. Finagle is like, how did I manage to, to do it? Like, how did I scrounge up all these people? Right. Hmm. So, so anyway, the, the group consists of, just to, just to help clarify a bit more on my end, um, not just bartenders, not just mixologists. Um, we, I really wanted to create a really interesting kind of group of people that, again, are in this wider sector together, but have extremely varying expertises. So we have sommeliers. We have, you know, very notable trade advocates who, who fight for inclusivity in the space on a day-to-day basis, such as Jackie Summers and Yannick Benjamin and Tiffany Barrier and um, Shannon Mustafer, and I can go on. Um, and, you know, we have writers in the group, actually, who focus on specific parts of the space. I mean, we have one who's focused just on, you know, whiskey and bourbon. And so that was really my initial ambition was to bring all these people together for the reasons I mentioned before, but then also to really by default, honestly, make that, make this an inclusive group by way of who I strategically brought into the idea. And, 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 you know, again, if there are people at the end, I'm happy to share my email address for the collective and a call to action there. But right. with that being said, you know, we're not exclusive, right? Like I would always be open to talking with brands with people that may be interested in joining. So, you know, just as a a PSA there. In terms of how I was able to bring everyone on, I had a a very strong connection, you know, base across the U.S. In terms of bartenders I've worked with, writers I've worked with on projects. You know, I hate to influencers, but influencers that I, you know, that Mm -hmm. I've, I've done projects with before, and I started with them. I started cold calling them. I started texting everyone and emailing everyone and saying, I think I have an idea. Can you give me, you know, 15 minutes of your time to tell you what I'm thinking? I, I don't, I didn't have a, you know, a solidified business model at that time. I had no pitch deck. I had no one helping me. I mean, I had actually a partner um, who's still a good friend of the collective who actually came from um, Southern Glaciers, actually. So she was the head of HR at one of the bigger distributors here in the U.S. So she she was integral in kind of the ideation part of this. But, you know, we didn't have a team on board. And I started calling these people. And given given my reputation, I would say, in the space, given, you know, the longstanding relationship that I've had with these people, first they agreed that there was a need for this and it was an immediate understanding of what I was trying to do, which helps. The other part of it was actually how it evolved into a global group of people almost immediately, which is an interesting part of the story because people like Tim, who 
is fantastic. He te- he actually literally was texting me a half hour ago. I mean, to have now, you know, friends and collective members all over the world, I, I feel so fortunate. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know Tim. I didn't know Camille. I, I didn't really have um, as, I guess, as many connections as I thought I had, or, you know, I thought I knew everyone that was anyone. And I know that sounds horrible, but I obviously was very naive. And I knew that there were other people doing really interesting things. I guess I just thought I knew the the majority of them. And what I have found through this is that I've only, I only know, I only knew a minority of them. And so I was able to be connected through the people that I knew here in the U.S. to more people here in the U.S., but then to so many, so many incredible people worldwide. And so in the matter, I started talking to members probably late last year. And within two months, I started talking with people abroad, um, including a lot of the people that you've had on the show, as well as more people here in the U.S. that I, I really honestly did not know. I've heard of, but had never worked with. And they too just drank the Kool-Aid of the idea and were willing to jump on board and help, you know, amidst a pandemic, let alone just their own busy schedules to help bring this to life. And so it's just been a really humbling experience to say the least. Fantastic. I mean, what a journey. And, and you're right, what an experience because I feel like the more times you connect with people in the industry, the more doors open up. And I guess you've really 100%. seen that, right? That's great. 100%. Can you tell us about some of the projects you've been on with the industry and uh, maybe some of the projects you've got coming up with the collective? Absolutely. So we have a handful of strategic clients on board as of right now, and that roster is continuing to expand as we speak. So I can, you know, I'd love to come back on in a year from now and give you additional updates oh, on that. Please front. do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we work with, do you want me to um, maybe just go through some of our clients and some of the work that we're doing? Does that work? Yeah, sure thing. Definitely. So we, um, one of our partners is Goat Rodeo Capital. Very interesting company. Is there a VC firm that focuses specifically on investments in the craft beverage and cannabis sector? So if I wasn't meant to work with, with these people that, that sounds perfectly, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, so they've done, um, the, uh, the partners are um, Carlton Fowler and James Pellegrini. Uh, they've been in this for about 18 months and have, I believe, about eight to nine portfolio investments already, ranging from sourced craft cocktail to Drinksmith, um, which is one of the, you know, cocktails in a can, RTD drinks here in the U.S. that's expanding pretty quickly, um, to Vertoza which is an interesting cannabis brand. It's leading in kind of R&D alongside others. We are also working with a company called Speakeasy Co. Very interesting, which is a direct-to-consumer. It's an e-commerce platform that now enables craft beverage brands to sell direct-to-consumer on their own respective websites through the technology that Josh Jacobs, who's the co-founder and CEO, that he's created. So it's it's pretty revolutionary here in the US given the three-tier system. And his his background is just very interesting. I won't go into, into it in full detail, but he was not from our space. He was an entrepreneur who saw a need case. And the need case originally was a cocktail subscription model. And then, through working with various people like yourself and experts in the space, 
he realized, wait, this three tier system thing, this doesn't sound all too great for the, for the craft, you know, distillers. Mm -hmm. So he yeah. decided to, su to, to sunset one part of the business model and really focus on creating a technology that would give them a technological leg up, if you will. Excuse me. So, and so that was how kind of the speakeasy current model came to be. And as, as recent as this week, I mean, their model has just worked so well, not only for small to mid-sized brands, but actually large brands are using this because now companies not only can kind of stay afloat during COVID, right, which is very difficult in terms of like, you know, on and off premise sales, but now they have kind of the autonomy to, to kind of shape their own financial future through this platform. And um, a very interesting recent project we did was the launch of the Tesla Tequila. Oh, wow. And okay. Did you, did you hear about, yeah. I saw the article. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Josh's team, the, the technology uh, behind Speakeasy fueled the entire Tesla Tequila operation. Wow. So okay. it was, it was, it was quite interesting. Yeah. And so just to be able to see the growth of that company too, um, you know, they had 40 beverage brands on the platform when I started working with them. And now I guess, well, they started in January, February of last year. And now there's 170 brands on the platform. So it's the business is expanding. And if anyone that's listening is, a, you know, a craft beverage brand that, it, you know, would like to use a similar product that jo uh, Josh and his team have, I'd be happy to obviously connect anyone listening to the Speakeasy team. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and then the last current project <clears throat> that I thought I could go through was just working with it's a beverage company. They were previously called Beatbox Beverage. And they have since, since 2019, created a sister corporate company called Future Proof. And they are the, 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 the only set of clients that we, we, as of right now, I proactively pitched to work for them. <laughs> I saw right. on, they, they were on Shark Tank, funny enough, on ABC Shark Tank here in the US oh, cool. in, 24, in 2014. And they were three business school students that were friends at University of Texas, huge fans of music and EDM in particular, so electronic music, and wanted to create a line of beverages that just represented fun. So like literally the first model, I believe, like looked like a beatbox and it was a party punch. And so they went on Shark Tank and Mark Cuban invested a million dollars in the business then. And... He said, you know, I'm not buying wine, I'm buying fun. And that's really what their whole model is about. And I reached out directly to a woman named Amy Steedman, who is one of the founders, and she's the current COO. And I just, I, I said, I, I just, I, I really admire what you're doing. And obviously her being a female, you know, C-suite leader of, of a really interesting company, I, I really admired her. And then, you know, she introduced me to, her partners who I work with now as well, who are the CMO and CEO of this company. And they're just crushing it. I mean, they're just doing really interesting stuff. They launched a new crowdfunding campaign uh, to encourage actually their customers who they call their fans to buy into the business, to join for the ride. And, you know, they, they've just had following Shark Tank, a very interesting wave of success. They have very distinguished investors, including like, 
um, host on MTV and interesting musicians that have invested in the business. So I just, I wanted to help as did the collective really help raise visibility for their company because I think they're just doing some interesting stuff. And so, so yeah, so that would be, those are kind of the main, you know, current projects I thought I could touch upon. And then in terms of stuff, you know, in the pipeline, you know, we are working on a few other contracts at the moment with other wine brands with a few incubator companies. Um, so definitely more to come there as well and helping with different projects across the board, both short term and long term. So I, yeah, I would love to, you know, continue to keep you in the loop on, yeah, all the projects that we're doing as we continue to evolve the business over the years ahead. For sure. And, and we can't wait to hear more. And it sounds like the projects you've got going on are, are so big, so, so incredible. And, um, you know, for, for any potential clients of yours that may be listening, I mean, firstly, you're, you're obviously the communication queen, which is fantastic. <laughs> you're like a one-stop shop for anyone who needs to know anything about the alcohol business. Um, you know, what, what are sort of the core, you know, I guess principles or core uh, things you can offer to potential clients? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've, we've really tried to quote unquote market ourselves. And I mean that in a very loose term as this kind of global drink think tank where how it, the model has been working is where we come in. Um, we have, you know, larger media discussions with the founders, the, you know, executive leadership teams of these companies um, and, and really any, it doesn't have to be a C-suite or CEO level person, really anyone that moves the needle in these companies and kind of how the process has worked so far is that we start those relationships with these people and rather than market ourselves as a type of agency, because we have so many global experts that range in so many different things, as I said a little bit earlier, what we do is try to position ourselves as a service company, absolutely, but understand first and foremost the businesses, right? And, and kind of get a larger and a, a more rich understanding of the business at hand. Understand also the need cases for these companies and then figure out what, where those voids are and then pick the right experts to then work on that business. So that can range from you know, liquid strategy and development to go to market strategy, you know, to, you know, if you need to create a, let's say a diversity and inclusion campaign or a sustainability campaign, you know, or a thought leadership program, you know, it really, and, and that's why, again, as I'm listing things off, I'm sure that's why you can understand that we try to, we try to just work with these companies and through those conversations, we figure out where we were best suited and who is best suited within the collective to do that work. You know, our goals are really another part of the model that I've always envisioned. And, and this is how we're currently working with Future Proof, Goat Rodeo, and Speakeasy is that we don't want to be a quote unquote like vendor of record. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I've really felt strongly that if we integrate ourselves into these businesses, and I mean, like personally, myself as the founder of the company, I mean, for these, you know, the, the companies that we're currently working with. I have an email address. I'm involved in, you know, weekly calls, monthly calls, investor emails. I felt that was very important because if, if we're deemed as, as kind of a, an extension of these businesses, 
in, tr in full transparency, I think, you know, it's harder for us to be forgotten about. It's harder for us to just be kind of dismissed, which I don't think that any, you know, of these brands would do, nor any in the future, but it's just a different mentality. So we also like to, as much as possible, also integrate ourselves into these businesses, both for our sake, but I also think for the sake of, of these brands, and it's worked very well so far as being this kind of, you know, inside source, if you will. Mm-hmm. 100%. I completely agree. Definitely. And um, I mean, it, it sounds so incredible and you must have so many amazing conversations with all these people. Where do you see the business being in a, in a few years time? What's your goal? Just to continue to scale up and, and by mm. scale up, I, I don't mean necessarily adding more talent per se. I mean, I think, I think, we are currently at a great point in terms of who's on board and, and you know how many people I have included in this. And they've really been so integral, as I said, into, into even uh, you know, getting this off the ground amidst so much going on in the past year. Um, with that being said, you know, when I say scale up, I just mean to continue to work with interesting brands that we're passionate around and you know, the current client roster, I, I personally, I know as well as the collective, everyone is just so passionate around what these companies are doing. And, and as you heard, I truly feel at least, and perhaps I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but they really are doing things to try and innovate. And I, I don't know tons of brands that are doing that. So I would like to continue to scale the business where more brands, we work with more brands on a, you know, a small, mid to large level size. We don't just want to work with brands that are very large. We think that there is a huge need case for us for small brands. And so just to continue to build a wider portfolio of clients, whether it be longer term partnerships where, you know, we're kind of that go-to ongoing, you know, vehicle for them where they can tap us whenever they want for different projects, or just project-based work. We're, we're open to both because we think that both provide us with different benefits, so. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Taylor, for sharing the story. And obviously we've got a few more questions before we wrap up, um, but sure. I was interested. Have you had a, a, a industry collective meetup yet? The whole group <laughs> for a night out? <laughs> no, no one has fun. asked me that. <laughs> yeah, I was actually asking my husband if I can host just the New York people here, but right. we still feel given COVID. No, I mean, that's the, that's the really, really crazy part about starting a business in the middle mm -hmm. of, of a global pandemic, right? So right. We, we've been doing Zoom meetings where we will try to corral everyone globally to get on calls every few months. And, you know, in full transparency, I was hosting those more often, but you have to kind of read the room, especially if you own a business. And I just felt that there was a part, there was a moment in time where personally I was going, you know, I had a lot going on with my personal life, with my family and my friends. And just, it was a, it, I, it was, a, you know, an interesting time for me. And then with the collective, everyone had things going on personally and professionally. And so even, even just the Zoom meetings, you know, with everyone on, you know, on a monthly or, or more often basis, I felt was too much because there is, we have never experienced anything like this. I also have never owned a business before this. So I just felt that there have been times over the past year where I did need to pull back on those, you know, 
calls with everyone or calls with bigger groups because it just, I don't know, it just didn't feel right at times. And so I've really kind of gone with my gut in terms of how often I, how often I ask, you know, people to come together and by come together, I mean virtually, because I am, I am mindful that this is just such a weird moment in time. And even the, I'm sure I don't even know half of the things going on with the, you know, the various people in my group, let alone everyone else that, you know, we've been liaising with. So the answer, the, 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 that was the long winded answer, but the short winded answer <laughs> is no, right. we have not gotten together as a, as a whole group. And you know, I don't know. It may never, I don't know if it'll ever happen. I mean, it may, but mm -hmm. I also think that there is just such a beauty to kind of the expansiveness of this idea where, you know, people will, let's say, you know, someone from New York flies to the UK, they can get together with a handful of the collective members there. You know, I think there is kind of this like beauty in this disjointedness, right? Like there's strategy and everyone knows each other and we're in a private Slack group, actually, funny enough. Okay. So, you know, there, there, and you know, there is, there is structure, you know, don't get me wrong, but I, I, I think as this is evolving, as we scale up, I'm not sure just how much from a wider collective perspective that everyone will be doing together. I don't know. I don't know. It may happen. We also all may be together at the same place at the same time. But I think that part of my original idea, I think it's just evolved as, I guess, as, you know, as everything has evolved in terms of what's been going on over the past year. And I don't mind it. I don't mind it being a bit more disjointed and people working on different projects and people having different clients and people kind of deciding when they're going to meet everyone. And so I think it's, it's been unexpectedly really nice how it's, it's unfolded. So. Good. Well, I'm happy to hear that. And um, pandemic aside, what does Taylor like to do on her nights out? What do you drink and uh, where do you go? Nights out. Yeah. That's do you get a night part. out? Is I, that a thing? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I'm not. I know this is, I know this is heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I'm a, I, I drink, so I won't disappoint everyone too much here. But no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like an old lady at heart. I, I enjoy on the weekends. I watch CBS Sunday mornings with my husband. I, you know, I'm, I'm more of a homebody. I, it's funny because I'm such an extrovert with my, with my life. And I've, you know, up until COVID, I was traveling three weeks a month for the duration of like the 10, 11 years I'd been working in New York. So I guess I put so much into, you know, my personal life and, and my professional life, excuse me. And my husband was actually living abroad in Germany. So I, I think the times that I have been able to be in my apartment, I very much enjoy, you know, watching a movie, going to bed at like 10, 11, and doing fun things around the city. But um, yeah, no, I'm not much of a night owl, I guess, just because of all the years I, you know, I was traveling and doing things at night but in terms of what i'm drinking i'm a very I, i'm a huge fan of smoky scotch smoky oh, okay. mezcal and by default mezcal is smoky so i hmm. i love having and then i also love um i have one whiskey i worked for so have you ever heard of a company called smooth ambler any chance i haven't actually no you need to get them on your show okay. they are a trip. There are two, the two men who started it, John and John, literally. Wow. They are based in West Virginia, which is 
if, if you know anyone from West Virginia, they're just salt of the earth people. But no, they they um they work with Pernod Ricard. So when I was at Pernod Ricard, we had a division called New Brand Ventures, and we partnered with Smooth Ambler to provide them with resources. And so they're still a partner of Pernod, but um, they created one particular product. I just, I've, I've, I've been drinking for so many years. It's called Contradiction. Um, it's just fantastic. It's a great liquid and they're great people. It's like Appalachian based whiskey, as they say. And yeah, so I would, I would, yeah, I would suggest if anyone is ever in West Virginia to, to go to their distillery, but in the meantime, <laughs> try to get contradiction it's it's awesome what about you what is your i have to ask you what is your drink of choice oh god <laughs> well thank you for asking uh, uh, to be honest anything alcoholic really I, i'm so terrible um, <laughs> you know it's um bangkok so I'm, as many of the audience will know i'm in bangkok and uh, it's a very expanding city every week there's a new bar new restaurants so i'm constantly going to these these new events and trying new cocktails and but um, being someone who's worked in cocktails the majority of my career and, and in wine as well, I really just like a nice beer, no, a nice mm. glass IPA just to sit at home with a bag of chips. I know that sounds terrible, but yeah, that's kind of that what sounds like my husband's favorite night of all time. Really? You right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds right up his alley. <laughs> um, but to be honest, spirit wise, I'm a big cognac fan. Yeah. Always mm, big cognac. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. See, so, yeah. you learn something new every day. There you Indeed. Go. <laughs> well, Taylor, it's been absolutely amazing to have you on the show. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to you and your story. Uh, is there anything you want to leave to the audience before you go? Thank you again for having me. This has been really fun, and I love thinking about alcohol at 8 a.m. here in New York. Um, <laughs> no, I think in terms of just a call to action, um, feel free to email us. We're hello at theindustrycollective.org. Um, and then you can also just visit our website. You can also contact us on our website at www.theindustrycollective.org. Um, and then follow us on Instagram. If you're on Instagram at hello at the industry collective is the handle. So I, as you can see, I'm a, still a marketeer by heart. So I try to make consistent <laughs> handles and messaging, but um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be the best way. And again, as I said, if, whether it be if you're a brand owner or if you, you know, you're a founder of a company and you think that, you know, it would make sense to work with us on, on a project or a longer term partnership, feel free to reach out. Um, yeah. And if you're an expert as well, we'd love to, to talk with you and learn more and see where we could find some synergies. Perfect. Taylor, absolutely amazing. And all that information, by the way, will be in the show notes uh, for the audience and listeners. Um, thank you very much, Taylor, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you.